Good morning, church. Man, that was cool. It is great to see all of you this morning. It's December now. It still feels nice outside. That's great. I feel like I always talk about the weather when I come up here and then things change, so sorry if I ruin your week. But if you're new here, like Pastor Patrick said, I'm Spencer. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm really honored and excited to be up here this morning um, looking at a really, really powerful passage, um, and I'm excited for what God has to say to us as we step into the next four weeks of this Christmas Series. And speaking of that, there were a lot of hours and a lot of people and a lot of time, both on staff and as volunteers, who came together uh, to create this amazing set design I have and also all the decorations in the lobby and the rest of the church. So could we just give them a hand real quick? Thank them for all they did. Yeah, it's incredible. It looks great. So we appreciate all of you if you're in this room. Thank you for all that you did in that. Now, I have a question to start us off this morning. And it's this, does anyone in here have an amazing Christmas sweater, either on you or at home somewhere? Kind of like this one, I think there's one for the screen. That one is glorious. Boy, yeah, those colors don't match. But yes, all of us have Christmas sweaters, I think. I recently saw an invoice email come across um, uh, my email app the other day from Amazon, and inside were pictures of the Christmas sweaters that my wife had ordered um, so that she could not only have one for parties, but that she could have variety. Because if one is good, two is more expensive. <laughs> right, like you said. So it stuck out to me recently as I was preparing um, for this message. There's a lot of things going on this time of year that are reserved just for these four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas or so. Right? There's special kinds of decorations, special kinds of lights. There's trees that we bring into our homes um, there's special music, right? Who doesn't like Christmas music? I mean, I don't, don't raise your hand, actually. Well, that would be bad for you. You might get stoned. Um, there's special colors. I mean, there's even vocabulary that we use this time of year that we emphasize during this season. And Drew talked about that a little bit this morning. And especially in church, when it comes to Advent, there are special words that get extra emphasis during this time. One of those words is hope, which is the word that we've chosen to use for this first week in our Christmas series, which you may see on your notes. And I just want to say as we begin that I'm thankful for the opportunity to look more closely at these things like love, joy, peace, and hope. But I honestly pray today that this message wouldn't be to you just like the Christmas sweater that you bring out for a few weeks a year and then put back in the closet and then stash again. But what we're going to be talking about is something that I believe God wants us to carry with us every single day of the year. And so today's message will be based on the story of Jesus' birth, which we're celebrating through Christmas but my hope is that the implications of it will carry far beyond just this season. So with that said, would you guys pray with me as we invite the Spirit of the Lord over this time? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, this amazing story that we're going to look at. Lord, but more importantly, thank you for you, for your son, for your gospel, for your good news that we get to reflect on um, all month, God. And we just pray this morning that you'd speak a word to our spirits in power. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... All right, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 to begin this morning. If you don't have one on you, no sweat. We have the uh, passages up on the screen so you can follow along with us. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26. Um, and we're going to look at a familiar story today from two different points of view. And since it's polite to have ladies go first, we're going to read uh, from Mary's perspective as far as Jesus' birth is concerned first. So Luke, oh, sorry, did I say Matthew? I meant to say Luke if I, did, if I said Matthew. I apologize for that. I don't know why I said that. Okay, Luke 1, we're going to start in verse 26. Here it is. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, 
God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary goes, how will this be to the angel since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Many of us have grown up hearing this story since we were kids, right? We've read it in children's books. We've maybe been in a few pageants. Um, I never was, but they're incredible, and I'm thankful I never have to run one of those. Um, and we've maybe seen the nativity scene, right, and all of its many variations light up front yards and front rooms every December for possibly decades of our life. There's a cultural familiarity with this story that extends way beyond those who call themselves Christians or who attend church on a regular basis. At this time of year, it's almost impossible, right, to escape the influence of the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus. If you're one of those people who does things like read, go outside, or watch TV, okay, it's all over the place. And so my concern as I was preparing to teach on the story today was that it might be hard for us to actually treat the story as something more real than a children's bedtime tale. So let me set the stage a little bit for you for what's going on here. Mary, the one that we see in all the pictures and all the nativity scenes, in real life, according to almost every scholar, was most likely between 12 and 14 years old and at most was 16. She lived in a day and age where outside of her father or her husband, she had no rights. And this marriage to Joseph was almost certainly arranged by both of their parents. When the angel arrives and gives her a greeting this would have defied cultural norms of the time since she had virtually no social status. She would not have deserved a greeting. You can tell that Mary's a bit perplexed. If you look closely, she goes, what kind of greeting is this? Because she's never had one before like that. She's now going to undergo an experience, according to this angel, that nobody has ever heard of before and that would bring her incredible amounts of shame. Because in a culture that's based on honor and shame, perception is everything. It's a lot like being in junior high. If you get accused of something or publicly embarrassed, it doesn't matter what reality is. Perception is everything. And in the eyes of your peers, it's almost impossible to undo that sort of thing. And in this kind of culture, for Mary to be pregnant during the one-year betrothal period before she was married, but she was legally bound to Joseph, it would have been legally considered adultery. And it's really not that hard of an argument to make, right? I mean, they're not married yet, and she's pregnant. And so I want to take a moment here and address a common criticism of this story, which is that it's just a fairy tale, that it's a nice story, but it's not necessarily true. And this argument goes often that to the ancient mind, miracles 
or just simply unexplained scientific phenomenon that they just didn't know about. And being very uneducated, it wouldn't have been hard at all to convince them that Mary's pregnancy was a miracle when in reality she was just being unfaithful. It's tempting for a lot of us today to look back at our ancestors as less intelligent, less critical, less thoughtful than us, and just assume that they were fooled. And I want to be cautious about what the late author C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, which I think is a fantastic phrase, which is the idea that humanity is always making progress by default, and therefore anytime we look back, we're always looking down at an inferior version of ourselves. Because there's a definite difference between knowledge and intelligence. Okay, knowledge is facts and information which have clearly increased over the course of human history, which is why we can fly in the air today and think nothing of it, but that would have been a literal miracle 2,000 years ago. But intelligence is the ability to reason and think. And honestly, it's kind of arrogant for us to look at our ancestors and assume that they were so gullible that a teenage girl could get pregnant out of wedlock, come up with an amazing story about how it was God's fault, and voila, she gets away with it, and she takes away that excuse from everyone else for the rest of time, okay? Now, you and I have to realize that claiming you are pregnant because God chose you out of everyone else on earth to bear his son to be the savior of the world is not any more believable today than it would have been 2,000 years ago on its surface. The bottom line is this assignment from God for Mary was a virtual life sentence for her social standing and her shame. She would have lost out on her wedding. She would have lost the approval and support of her family, and she possibly could have lost her husband, which would have left her with no option but to live on the street for the rest of her life and beg to make a living. And that leads us to the other half of our story, which is her husband-to-be, who somehow had to believe this impossible story from the woman that from all perceptions is lying to him and cheating on him. So let's quickly turn, if you have a Bible, to the left in your Bible, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, the verses will be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 18. Matthew 1.18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before they were officially married, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, which is a very reasonable consideration, considering an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a quote from Isaiah. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Okay, so Joseph is presented as well with an extremely challenging situation, not unlike Mary was. Here he is, pledged to his future wife when he finds out she's been, from all appearances, unfaithful to him. Okay, unless you continue to think Joseph may have been some fool who just because he lived a long time ago, he goes and makes a plan 
how to separate himself from Mary without publicly disgracing her, but still basically saying this marriage is over, this relationship is over. And who can blame the guy, right? This is a very simple case until something supernatural happened to change his mind. And there's a long history in the Bible about God speaking to people through dreams. In fact, some of you may remember Joseph's namesake in the Old Testament, right? Joseph in the multi, you know, technicolor dream code or whatever that play is, right? And then his brothers got jealous of his dream and they faked his death and trafficked him into human slavery. And I don't know if that makes it into high school plays anymore or not, but um, that definitely happens. So not all dreams are good dreams. Um, but either way, we know that Joseph stays with Mary, despite the shame that would have brought on him because he was so convinced by this angelic visit through a dream that her story was true, that she was actually chosen to carry this miracle child, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he now chooses to live with a wife everyone thinks was unfaithful to him with a son that everyone thinks is not his. Have you ever thought of it that way before? That's a pretty high price to pay if all of this is a ruse. But obviously Joseph has been convinced that the cost of this decision to obey is going to be worth it in the end. And that idea of obedience leads me to our next story, which is puppies. <laughs> Who doesn't love puppies? Oh my gosh. Um, I bring that up, not, there is a reason. The word obedience has been relegated in our culture to a place, I think, of suspicion. It's often framed right now as a power play between two parties where one of them demands obedience to the other one's detriment. When it comes to kids, right, if you talk too much about obedience, you might get sideways looks from other parents today. One of the only safe spots to use the word obedience today is in reference to pets, primarily dogs and or puppies. Anyone who uses the word obedience and cat in the same sentence is fooling themselves. <laughs> when we look at this story, as well as countless others in scripture, we're confronted with the fact that obedience and faithfulness to God are not just presented as good ideas. They are front and center core expectations of what a life lived rightly is built on. God sends a message to Mary through one of his angels one day and absolutely everything in her life changed from that moment on. God had plans to use her and use her for something so profound, it's hard to put ourselves in her shoes and even try and understand what that must have felt like. And after hearing the promise of giving birth to the Messiah, the king that Israel had been waiting for, Mary responds like just about all of us would, right? How can that be? And this is what the angel says to her in Luke, verses 35 to 37. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit, when she says, how is this possible? The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, right, he's saying, even her who has not been able to have children her entire life is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then she has this amazing response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. She's honest in expressing her doubts because we all have them, right? And hers are completely reasonable. I think we can make that case. I mean, God had made infertile women, just like Elizabeth, able to bear children before all throughout Scripture. But a virgin pregnancy to a divine child who is supposed to save the world, I mean, that still sounds a little impossible even to us. And we're on the other side of the story. But she chooses 
to not let her doubts make her decisions for her. She chooses to not let her doubts make her decisions for her, and I hope that's true for us as well. The bottom line is that Mary was given a choice. Are you going to obey the word of the Lord to you or not? Joseph's in the same boat. He's presented with a seemingly impossible scenario, but given a choice to do what made sense to him or to obey the word of the Lord. And as we know, these two did make the right decision, which is a miracle because they're teenagers in love, but I'm just kidding, mostly kidding. Because of their obedience, they were able to play a major role in the single greatest event in human history. Now, did their obedience come without a cost? No, I think we looked at that. There was a really high cost. Did it pay off immediately? No. In fact, they spent the first three years of their marriage in exile as refugees in Egypt. And Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he was 30. And so that's a pretty long time to wait to see if what God said about your son was true, or if you let him stay up too late and be a picky eater his entire childhood for nothing because you think he's God. Okay? That's a long time. But the question I want to I pivot to as we wrap up this morning is this. Why them? What made Mary and Joseph so special that God would choose them to be his son's earthly parents? We see in Mary's story in verse 30 in Luke that the angel tells her, you have found favor with God. And the first time I read that, I thought to myself, what did she do to make herself teacher's pet with God? And I want to take a moment to clear up some myths surrounding the person of Mary, because I think it has really profound implications for us. Obviously, Mary's a wonderful picture of faith. I mean, this is an incredible story, and I know we're so familiar with it. It doesn't pop to us like it should. But she's a major figure in the Bible. She's incredibly faithful, but Mary was not perfect. The idea that she was perfect, that she had no sin before Jesus was born, is based, if you do the research, on a mistranslation of the phrase found favor, which in Latin became full of grace, which was then interpreted to mean perfect or sinless. And the idea was that Mary was chosen because she alone on earth was pure enough to carry Jesus as her child, who was also perfect and free from sin. And here's the issue with that, is that this story is not about Mary. This story is not about Joseph. This story is about Jesus. Mary and Joseph were not perfect people. Not only is that just a safe assumption because they're humans, but the letter to the Romans, chapter one, also tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Greek, the word all there means all in English as well, okay? All have sinned. So why then did God choose them for this incredible task? Can I tell you a secret? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. There are probably a lot of really good guesses out there, but the bottom line is that we don't know exactly why God chose them in particular, but I think we know why he didn't, and I think that's just important as we wrap up this morning. He did not choose them because they had earned a bunch of chips with him, nor because they had perfect synagogue attendance record, nor because they were the Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen of the ancient Near East, the perfect couple. No, God was not looking for someone perfect, just somebody who was willing. God looks on us and looks on them with favor, not because we are good, but because he is. Mary and Joseph were not heroes, They were just obedient. 
God is the one who gets the credit for doing what sounded impossible. And for you and for me, I think this passage has a lot of, or a couple of key things to say to us today if you're taking notes. And the first is this. Obedience is a gift. What? Did I hear that right? Yes. Like we said earlier, obedience is a word that has become pretty unpopular and associated with words we would say are pretty far away from things like gift, okay? And if you see obedience as a duty or an obligation or even a punishment that you must endure, I do not blame you for seeing this and scratching your head. Because for a lot of us, how we grew up, what we've been through in life, that phrase being obedient brings up all sorts of bad imagery or maybe even some painful thoughts. And I wonder if today God might want to heal you from that. Because all throughout Scripture, we were encouraged that being obedient and faithful to the Lord is not in order for him to get compliance from us, but it's so that you and I can benefit. Because God created the world good and wants us to live lives that are good and holy and joyful and peaceful. And so he's given us his word in order to show us what that life looks like. But thanks to our rebellious human nature that's full of sin, right, Doing what God says sometimes feels like walking up, you know, uphill the wrong way um, during halftime in a Bronco stadium, trying to fight through the crowd, getting trampled, getting stepped on, getting pushed back. It's difficult. It's painful at times. It's challenging. But it always, it always leads to life. And that is why trusting that the Lord is good is essential to saying that obedience to him is not a burden we must bear, but it's a gift to us to free us. The second thing is this. Obedience is a response to God, not a way to God. Obedience is a response to God, not a way to God. Here's what I mean by that. So much of what is said and written about in the Christian world today boils down to this idea, try harder. We read tough passages in scripture about how we're supposed to live and without even thinking about it, we just start telling ourselves, I need to do this better. I need to do more of this. I need to stop doing that. And here we are again trying to make ourselves more acceptable by doing more good things. But if we try, church, and bank our relationship with God on our obedience, we will fall short every single time. It will be an exercise in futility. And we'll end up resenting this God who feels so far away and so impossible to please. But if we see obedience not as a way to get things from God, as if every time we do a good deed, we get a star next to our name, but instead as a way to get more of God, I think our lives might be turned upside down because no matter how it looks on the outside, if you're doing all the right things, but you're doing it to try and earn favor with God, you will never do enough. You'll be, we'll be the ultimate example of someone chasing their own tail, wearing ourselves out in the process. But if we can hold firm to the fact that our standing before God is based not on our obedience, but on the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, then the way we live today is based out of a response to what he has already done for us. Because of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, God now looks at you with favor, because when he looks at you, he sees his son who stands in your place. The full favor and acceptance of God is upon you, independent of your ability to earn it. And so instead of obeying him to earn favor, we now obey out of a response to the favor that's already upon us because of the powerful and saving work he's done to set us free. 
His church, that miracle baby at the center of this story and at the center of this season grew up. He lived a perfect life, the only one in the history of time. He perfectly embodied what it means to be human and to bear the image of God because he was God. And then he was obedient to his calling all the way until death itself. He was faithful to carry out his mission, which was to stand in our place, bear the weight of our sins so that the great divide between God and humanity could finally be bridged when he rose again, triumphant over sin and death and raised to life again as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, soon to return to finally set all things right and make all things new. That is what hope is about. That is real hope. And if you haven't received that truth this morning, that the saving work of Jesus on your behalf has set you free, that God looks on you with favor because not what you can do, what he did, or even today, if you realize that you've drifted and you're not living in step with your creator, I wanna take a moment right now to give you an opportunity to not wait one more minute before you get right with the Lord who loves you and made you. So if we bow our heads this morning out of respect for the people around us and close our eyes, if that's you this morning and you say, I do not know this Jesus, I've come to church maybe, maybe it's Christmas season, I feel like I should be here, I'm not really sure how I got here this morning, or maybe you say, man, I come here every week, but right now I feel like, That doesn't describe me. I'm not walking in step with my creator. I'm just gonna lead us through a prayer. You can pray this in your own words. You can follow along on my behalf because you are the king, Lord, and you are good. And I wanna follow you from this moment forward to walk in the life that you paid for, a life filled with hope and joy and peace, living apart. So Father, please forgive me in this name, amen. That was you this morning. We're gonna have an opportunity for you to come forward and pray with someone. Um, We do this every week. It's such a powerful thing. It's also terrifying, especially if you're new. I wanna encourage you, they're not gonna gonna say weird things or or ask for money. We're just gonna pray with you. That's what churches do. And if that's you this morning and you made a decision to say, I wanna stay with Jesus. I wanna accept this. I wanna change my fundamental orientation in the universe to be in step with my creator you just made the best decision of your entire life. Church, can we celebrate and, th- and congratulate them? <laughs> South Suburban, we serve a God of the impossible. Verse 37 in Luke says, for no word from God will ever fail. Nothing will be impossible for God. Thank God we do not have to be perfect. We just have to be willing. And as we close and as you go into the rest of this Christmas season, be encouraged because hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And if we can rest in the work that he has done on our behalf and respond with great faith and expectation, there is no telling what story he can write in your life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we receive this word from you. We recognize it's hard for us to trust in the light of what our eyes can see. But Lord, in this moment, we wanna stand with you. We wanna believe in you. God, would you change our hearts? Would you, would you open our hands to receive what you're calling us to? Radical faith in you, and the God who calls us to the impossible. Would this church be a light to this world in this season of what that kind of looks like? We pray this in Jesus' name.
And every God's people said, amen.